Hello, everyone, and welcome into the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. I am your host, Michael Beller, and on this episode, we are going to be doing something a little bit different. We're going to do six of these division by division position battle episodes. We are starting with the National League Central, and within the Central, we are starting with the Chicago Cubs. For that, we bring on one of our two Cubs beat writers from the Athletic, Patrick Mooney. Patrick, thanks for joining us here today. No problem. Thanks for having me on, Michael. You know, the Cubs uh, have been for years now one of the most interesting teams in the fantasy world that is no different here in 2020. New manager David Ross, we'll get to him in a second. I want to start, however, with one of the pure position battles this team does have. Rotation spots one through four set, but that fifth spot up for grabs. Tyler Chatwood, Alec Mills, the two guys battling for it. How do you handicap it at this stage of the spring? Well, this is Tyler Chatwood's job to lose and he's done nothing to suggest that he will lose it um I think cynically if the Cubs uh get off to a slow start uh they want Tyler Chatwood uh in the rotation pitching well uh for the opportunity to trade him uh at the deadline uh, the Cubs are not that cynical uh right now they do feel good about their team they think they'll be in it. And Chatwood is uh, a big reason why. I mean, they gave him uh, a lot of money. He's got this, you know, these off the chart spin rates. Uh, and it, it did not translate at all his first year in Chicago. Uh, he kind of got comfortable, made some adjustments, started working with the team's pitching infrastructure. And last year had a very productive year, not in the role of the Cubs envisioned, but as this kind of hybrid pitcher with great stuff, he was able to make spot starts. Uh, he became a valuable kind of multi-inning reliever. So he's still um, young. Um, he's got uh, you know this great stuff that he's always kind of had, and they're hoping this is the time where he can really harness it and have a great you know platform year. He's going to have a lot to be pitching for. Uh, at the same time, they do like Alec Mills. He's been kind of a, a valuable hybrid pitcher as well, and I'd imagine him – settling into that swingman six starter spot here this year he's out of options so he'll 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 make the team uh but as long as chatwood health is healthy uh he's he's their number five starter and chatwood certainly more intriguing than your average number five starter in the fantasy world so uh, good to see him having a strong spring building on what he did in the 2019 season. Uh, now this team going back years, pretty much since the window of World Series contention opened for them in 2015, has always had a lot of position player flexibility and depth. It's something that they lost a little bit of in recent years, but still have a good amount of it, I think certainly more than the average team. And it was something that Joe Madden tapped into very often over the last few years. Uh, you know, you had Chris Bryant, Anthony Rizzo, Javi Baez playing pretty much every day. But beyond those three, a lot of moving parts uh, for Matt and the way he deployed his roster. A lot of those moving parts still there. And David Ross is going to have some of the same decisions to make. What I'm wondering is, is he going to tap into that as much as Joe Madden did, or are we going to see more of a default one through eight from Ross with guys like Albert Almora, Steven Souza treated as more traditional backups? I think he is going to at least initially try to go with a default setting. Uh, he, he mentioned that one of the first uh, days in camp that he, he thinks is important uh, to have that structure. And I think certain guys have kind of 
separated themselves by this point, at least compared to earlier in Joe Madden's tenure. At the same time, though, it's not like Joe Madden was always this crazy mad scientist who wanted to do things just to be different. Uh, there's obviously always going to be injuries and underperformance uh, and, and things that we just can't foresee at, at this point. But I think one of the kind of different wrinkles that, that Ross is going to have with this team is going to try and have a little bit more order. I mean, he's already anointed Chris Bryant as his uh, leadoff hitter. You'll have Anthony Rizzo from there, then Javi. Um, then I think Schwarber Contreras. So you can kind of see that he's already kind of ruled out the idea of Hayward moving back to center field, a position he can play, but not nearly as well uh, as he handles right field. Part of that was you know the trade for Nicholas Castellanos. So I think also Kyle Schwarber has kind of established himself um, as a real offensive force and a, and a you know better than advertised defender uh, in left field. He was one of the best hitters in baseball in the second half of last year. So um, through kind of some of the trial and error under you know Joe Madden um, and certain players asserting themselves, I think you are going to see a little bit more uh, of a set lineup uh, for the Cubs this year. All right, if there is one true position battle in the uh, in the uh, the, the uh, field, I think it's at second base with Jason Kipnis and David Bodie. Anyone there establishing himself as the go-to guy, or are we going to see those two guys uh, in more of a platoon role this season? I do think as long as Kipnis is healthy, he's making this team. That's kind of uh, how that's kind of been the subtext to his uh, minor league deal, and just the way that Ross uh, has talked about him as someone he's he's played against and has a lot of respect for kind of that uh veteran presence that I think the Cubs uh at certain points have maybe lacked or, or ne- maybe needed a little louder voice I mean that's uh kind of what Kipnis was brought in for um to bring a, a different dimension you know to the lineup and ability to play uh second base the Cubs have not uh, made any definitive pronouncements on where Nico Horner uh, will begin this season, though I think there's kind of a case to be made for him to go to AAA Iowa, a level he totally skipped last year when injuries forced him uh, into the lineup, uh, becoming an everyday shortstop uh, in the big leagues with Javi Baez injured. Well, he's an interesting player for the future. It's hard to really uh, get a sense for how many at-bats he's going to get in the first couple months of the season. Uh, the Cubs still have uh, Daniel Descalso, who's coming off a really you know bad season that you know he had some health issues that he had to um, work through. And Bodie can also play third. He also has an option uh, where he could go back uh, to the minor leagues. Uh, Ian Happ, uh, the Cubs have been kind of split on whether or not he can play second base, but at this point it looks like uh, he's got a good chance to become uh, close to an everyday uh, center fielder. Certainly that's what the Cubs are hoping for, that as, as a switch hitter, um, as a guy with some power, uh, they're really hoping that he can grab that job um, in center field. So I do think there is a path for, for Kibnis if he's healthy, uh, if he can get back to what he was a couple of years, and that was a guy who was an all-star who was showing up in the MVP vote, that, yeah, I think there's a, a way for him to have a, a really big role on this team this year. 
All right, that's Patrick Mooney. Be sure to check him out at The Athletic Chicago, also on Twitter at PJ underscore Mooney, M-O-O-N-E-Y. Patrick, thanks for joining us here today. Thanks, Michael. Moving on now to the Cincinnati Reds. We've got our Reds beat writer, C. Trent Rosecrans, joining us. Trent, how you doing? Fantastic. How are you? I am doing well. Thanks for taking the time to talk about some uh, Reds position battles with us here. Uh, the Reds don't have a traditional player X versus player Y for spot Z battle, but what they do have, and not unique inside the NL Central, is an outfield log, dra- log jam. Excuse me. You've got Nick Castellanos, Shogo Akiyama, uh, Jesse Winker, and Nick Senzel all figuring to mix into this outfield. How is it looking to you as we are, what, two weeks into spring training as you and I are sitting here talking? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it depends on Nick Senzel's health. Uh, he's scheduled to start uh, DHing in games pretty soon. Um, he had shoulder surgery at the end of last season to, to repair a labrum. Uh, by all accounts, things are going well. And, you know, you only have to kind of air out a throw every once in a while in the outfield. Right. Uh, he's going to be, I think he's he will probably play more often than not, as will Nick, uh, as will, uh, Nick Castellanos. Um, that leaves one spot, and I, I think they see Shogo Akiyama as a guy who can kind of play all three spots and get uh, and, and and you know last year in Japan his splits were pretty even uh, lefty versus righty. Now that could change the the pitching and everything is different. Uh, and then you have Aristides Aquino, who had this one great month and one terrible month in the big league level. Um, he also has options, so that's a big part. And don't forget about Phil Irvin. Phil Irvin is a guy who is out of options, who just crushes left-handed pitching. I mean, if you look at it, Phil Irvin and Jesse Winker seem to be a natural platoon, but that still leaves you three other guys in the outfield uh, with Akiyama, Castellanos, and Sensel. So how it's going to play out, I, I think that's really still the big question and um, not something that we can really decipher this early do we see any flexibility in the infield do we think that they can maybe sneak Senzel some at bats in at short in place of Freddie Galvis no. at third while you Eugenio <laughs> Suarez is you let's rehabbing just start the shortstop thing first no <laughs> okay okay uh, that's something that's been asked a lot they tried him at shortstop two years ago if he plays shortstop, it's going to be something happened and they need it to finish a game. And by the next day, there's going to be a shortstop with the team, a different shortstop. It's, okay. it's, it's a in-case-of-emergency-break-glass situation. He's behind Kyle Farmer on that depth chart. So, really, I, I, sorry to cut you off real quick, but that's just something that no, keeps no, that's coming perfect. up. and. I just don't see that happening. It just isn't going to happen um, unless something changes and everybody decides differently that the the evaluation they've had for a couple years changed. And I just don't see that happening. Now, is it possible you play some second and third base? Yeah. Um, again, I think they really still are holding tight to this outfield thing. Um, and... The infield, stop me if you've heard this in the last two, three minutes, but it depends upon injury, a shoulder injury, and that is Eugenio Suarez. Now, there are some positive signs. 
Eugenio Suarez has beaten timetables before. Uh, two years ago when he got hit on the hand, he came back much and broke a bone in his hand. He came back much sooner than anybody expected. This is a shoulder. I uh, heard it in the offseason diving into his pool. Um, so if he's there, if he's healthy, you still have Mike Moustakis at second, and they're kind of uh, set there. Now, I could see some flexibility if all things were e- even with Moustakis filling in the hole at third, and then maybe Senzel at second. However, you know, Nick Senzel is still relatively new to the outfield, and they're trying to, when he does get into the outfield, um, they're going to want to get him as many reps as possible in the outfield. I, I think he could step into second pretty easily, but you would still like to get him some work there um, because it's not a position he's played a whole lot. Um, he, he's a natural third baseman. The, the issue is they have a Eugenio Suarez. So I, I'm not counting. That's a lot of words to say I'm not counting on him getting a lot of time in the infield. So default lineup as we look ahead, just to, you know, once everyone is healthy, you're thinking it's going to be Castellanos and Senzel and then everyone else mixing and matching, but we can count on, let's say, 145 plus games for those two guys. Uh, that might be a little high for Senzel. I think there's some mixing and matching going in. The one guy I expect to be playing every day is Castellanos. Mm-hmm. After that, you have degrees. And maybe maybe it's best looking at tiers of uh, starts in the outfield. And the first tier being Castellanos. The second tier being Senzel and Akiyama. Uh, third, maybe Winker fourth Aquino and Irvin. Um, I, the way I just see it, I mean, I don't see a path, um, a likely path that Aristides Aquino with his kind of background and an option. I, I just, I think his value for a while is going to be, and this is assuming everybody's healthy to start the season. His value is, is putting him in AAA and getting everyday at-bats. All right, that's C. Trent Rosecrans on the Reds Outfield Logjam. You can follow him on Twitter at C, the letter C, Trent. And be sure to check out WARP in Cincinnati, his Reds podcast here at The Athletic with Paul Daner Jr. Trent, thanks again for joining us here. Yeah, no problem. Moving right along here in the NL Central, we make our next stop in St. Louis with the Cardinals. And to do that, we bring on our Cardinals beat writer, Mark Saxon. Mark, how are you? Thanks for joining us today. I'm doing great, Michael. I'm excited to be here, and uh, thanks thanks for uh, inviting me. Yeah, for sure. I am excited to talk to you because the Cardinals, the Cardinals, my friend, this is one of the best true position battles, and, and not only a true position battle, but one that is going to have major effects in the fantasy world, this team has an outfield log jam uh, that we really haven't seen in quite a while. You've got Dexter Fowler, Tommy Edmond, Harrison Bader, Tyler O'Neill, and of course the guy who everyone wants to be up in the majors right from the get-go, Dylan Carlson. You've got five guys, three spots, not necessarily an easy answer on how they're going to figure this out, who's going to play where, who's going to be the default three. Is there going to be a default three? I mean, there are so many questions with this outfield. You're right there. You're on the ground. What are you seeing so far this spring? Yeah, I mean, there are certainly some questions. Um, 
in, in terms of this sort of log jam of outfielders, it's interesting because it's not as if they got great production from their outfield last year. Even with Marcelo Zuna hitting cleanup, they had one of the weakest hitting outfielder outfields in baseball. And so now they've sort of they did they didn't make the move with an outside bat, including retaining Marcelo Zuna. So they have kind of thrown it open as a competition, and you've seen some interesting things happen. Dylan Carlson has looked, who you mentioned, has looked every bit one of the top prospects in baseball, certainly top 25 in pretty much all the rankings. Um, as of this morning, Michael, he leads Major League Baseball in OPS, in Major League Baseball spring training in OPS, and that's incredibly impressive. So the preference, I think, going into spring training was to start Dylan Carlson at AAA and give guys who have more Major League service time, have done also impressive things in the minor leagues, guys like Tyler O'Neill, Lane Thomas, the first crack at that left field job. But I'm not so sure at this point whether Dylan Carlson hasn't changed that equation. We've got two and a half weeks for them to sort out this opening day roster, but he's making that push, and I think that's what the team wanted to see from him regardless of where he starts. I mean, all these guys are so young, right? I mean, Edmund O'Neill, age 25 season. Lane Thomas is age 25 season. Bader in his age 26 season. We know they like his glove out in the outfield. Is there any guy who is clearly becoming maybe an odd man out? I mean, someone's going to have the fewest plate appearances of these of this quintet, or you can throw it to uh, Lane Thomas, too, and make it a sextet. Is there anyone who's clearly falling back in this race? Well, I think, you know, there were preferred candidates in each of these spots. I mean, first of all, teams, whatever they say, do make their decisions in some part based on contracts, right? And and you've got Dexter Fowler with two more seasons left at $16.5 million. He's going to have first crack at right field. I mean, if we broaden it out to the entire outfield, Dexter Fowler, I, I think, will be standing in right field on opening day. Now, he hasn't hit at all down here I think they'll give him time to kind of get his swing right um and, and as a veteran I'm not assuming that that won't happen um you know he he probably knows how to get his swing right by the end of the spring so I think he'll be standing in right field on opening day Harrison Bader will be in center field because the strength of this this team the identity of this team was great up the middle defense and he is an elite center fielder they don't have that Aside from him, yeah, Tyler O'Neill can stand out there and make most of the plays, but it's a big drop-off. With any of the current players they have in camp to, to Harrison Bader is a big difference. He's the best defensive center fielder, so I think he'll he'll get the nod there. And then left field really is wide open. As I said, I still think Tyler O'Neill has the inside edge on that because he's done the most impressive things in the major leagues of any of the candidates. Um, Lane Thomas did as well at times, but it's very, very limited sample size. So if, if you were asking me to sort of handicap it, I think Tyler O'Neill will be in left field on opening day. But again, Dylan Carlson is a great young player. But, you know, the floor is very, very high. The ceiling is also very high on him. And if he continues to do this, which is really just an extension of what he's always done, they're going to have to think about whether he's their best option from the start at 21 years old. We saw uh, Matt Carpenter take a clear step back last season. Is there a way to get Tommy Edmond some, some ABs by moving him to third base and opening things up a little bit here? Well, I mean, that's what happened last year, right? As Matt Carpenter just continued to struggle, 
And we had seen the previous season where he was, you know, had a very, very low batting average even into June, but then just got very, very hot and ended up getting quite a few uh, MVP votes actually that year, Um, you know, down ballot MVP votes. So, but last year it just never turned around. And so what you did have happen eventually, Tommy Edmond did take over at third base. Although I, I would say Tommy Edmond, they're viewing in a different category. You know, you've brought him up a couple of times now, both in the outfield and now in reference to Matt Carpenter. What they're really going to do with him, or at least the plan as of now, is move him around, kind of make him that super utility player that's so popular now, the Ben Zobrist, if you will. And he will play in the outfield, but I also think he'll play a lot of third base, especially if Matt Carpenter continues to look like he did last season. And he may even play, you know, the odd game at shortstop or or second base, even though Colton Wong and Paul DeYoung were outstanding defensively and offensively last year. Um, but yeah, if Matt Carpenter is struggling, you'll see him a lot there. Do we see multiple of these guys get 500-plus plate appearances, or is there going to be too much mixing and matching where they're, they're capped more in the you know 420 to 450 range? Well, I mean, if you think, let's isolate it on a guy like Tyler O'Neill for a minute. That That is the dream for him. He's never had a team tell him, okay, you're going to get 500 at-bats. But on the other hand, Tyler O'Neill has never stayed healthy in order to get those 500 plate appearances. So it's really like we never talk about this, but it's it, it's so often these decisions are made by attrition. You know, somebody pulls up with a groin, hamstring, even in spring training, or whether that's on a cold day, opening day in Cincinnati. I mean, we saw that happen with Tommy Pham in Pittsburgh about four years ago, opening day, serious arm injury because it was cold and he was trying to throw through it. So, um, again, like we can't predict these physical things, but I, again, if we think about Tyler O'Neill and maybe some of your listeners are thinking about drafting him, I would take a long look just at his injury history because we know that players who, who have – a lot of injuries in the past tend to repeat them and trainers will tell you that and everyone else. So keep an eye on that. But again, if he's healthy, I think he's the guy they're going to throw out there. It's been an intriguing story to watch all spring with a couple of weeks left still in spring training. One of the most intriguing storylines that we have, especially considering the upside that is tied to players like O'Neill, like Carlson, like Harrison Bader. That is Mark Saxon, our Cardinals beat writer. You can check him out, of course, at The Athletic St. Louis. Also on Twitter, at Mark A. Saxon. Mark, thanks so much for taking the time with us today. All right, Michael. Rock on. Thanks for having me, man. Next up in the National League Central is the Milwaukee Brewers. For that, we bring on our Brewers beat writer, Will Salmon. Will, how you doing today? Doing well, Michael. Good to be all with you. Yeah, this is a, a fun division to talk about. I keep mentioning that when I when I have uh, the NL Central writers on, but it is a fun division. It feels like a wide-open division. The Brewers, of course, are going to be expected to be uh, among the competitors in this one, and with good reason. Of course, they've been there the last couple of years. Uh, with this team, uh, it's a weird position battle that we're going to talk about with these guys because Christian Yelich, Lorenzo Cain, Keston Hira. have to imagine that those three guys, uh, with maybe an off day here or there, are going to be in the lineup Every single day. After that, Craig Council is going to have a lot of options. You look at uh, this team, you got a lot of multi-positional guys, some guys who are going to you know, command uh, plenty of plate appearances, even if they don't have an everyday uh, spot in the order. I'm looking at Ryan Braun, Eric Sogard, Justin Smoke, Avisail Garcia, you got Jed Jerko, you got Brock Holt, Orlando Arcia, of course, the best defensive infielder on this team. That's a lot of guys and not enough spots for them to play every single day. So how do we expect Craig Council to mix and match all these parts? 
there's going to be a lot of platooning like you alluded to, which doesn't always lend itself to drafting these type of players on fan, in fantasy drafts or, or even holding them on your team just because there, there's no guarantee that they're going to get the requisite amount of at-bats to really help you out. You mentioned Yelich, Kane, Keston here. Those guys are going to play every day like you mentioned. The other guy I will probably slide into that group as far as your next guy who could make a push for that, although he's certainly not yet in that category, is Avisail Garcia, just because he presents a, a pretty good package as somebody who checks a lot of boxes, uh, runs the bases well, plus defender for the Brewers. So he and obviously he could hit. Uh, that goes without saying, but he's a guy who could see some time really in all three outfield spots, including center field on the rare day that Lorenzo Kane wants an off day or needs an off day because he never really wants an off day. Um, so like that's a that that makes things a little bit interesting. So that will. That's a name that, you know, as much as I say that you kind of want to tread a little bit carefully with, you know, having a Brewers guy on your team who are not one of those names that you mentioned, Garcia comes to mind as, as probably one of your safer bets for, for a good amount of that bats. Other than that, you know, at third base, there's going to be a platoon situation going on between Sogard and Jed Jerko, it looks like. At shortstop, that's also an interesting one because you have Orlando Arcia who's having himself a nice spring and needed a good spring too. But right creeping up is uh on, on the on the health meter, if you will, is Luis Urias and he's a guy who made some changes last year toward the end of the season, got balls in the air more, showed some power, and he's somebody that the Brewers are pretty high on. So if he was healthy, my guess is that he would be playing the bulk of the time at shortstop at spurt, uh, during the spring. But since he's been out, that's allowed Arcia to kind of get some at-bats and to kind of run with it for now. But that's what's going to be interesting to see is what they do at that shortstop position, assuming Luis Urias comes back without any further setbacks or anything like that and plays relatively well. An interesting guy to me on this team is Ryan Braun. Uh, through some combination of him uh, obviously being in the latter years of his career, being in now his late 30s and the PED suspension that will just always hang over his head and cloud uh, the value that he still brings to the table, always seems to be a guy who is flying under the fantasy radar, even though we've been able to count on him over the last few seasons for you know 20 to 22 homers, somewhere in the range of 12 to 15 steals, uh, some pretty good production at a very cheap price. Is there any reason to expect the plate appearance number that we've seen from him over the last few years to drop off, or should we still be expecting him to have a similar role to what we've seen over the last couple of seasons? Yeah, that's a great question, just because he's in the last year of what will be a, a guaranteed, he's in the last guaranteed season, they have the option for it, but there's no way that they're going to pick it up at that price. So he even talked about this being his final season, perhaps. And so that that's also something that people want to consider with him because right now he's penciled in as a as a pretty solid platoon, a pretty obvious platoon with Justin Smoke as far as the righty-lefty splits with both those players. It works out really nicely. Plus, Braun could play some outfield, obviously, um, and split time with, uh, with Garcia in, in one of those corner spots. So it it lines up where he where he should be okay for at bats along the same lines of what he's been providing people the last couple of years but i could see a, a path toward him having you know a, not a dramatic decrease but a decrease and he has I w he has a shoulder a little bit of a shoulder issue going on so far in spring training but 
that's come up a little bit. I don't think I don't look at that as a serious as a serious issue for him, but it just is one of those things where he's he's on the downside of his career. Clearly, could be his last season. He's gonna have those sort of issues as well, where he just may take oh, uh, some time off here or there just because his body isn't isn't what it needs to be. Particularly when they're just counting on him in that platoon role, they want to have the best of him the best version of him possible during those small stretches where they're going to count on him or or need him so uh, they're not going to need to lean on him and so he's not going to be out there too much all right let's uh, one more question for you here let's go over to the rotation Corbin Burns been one of the really good stories this spring has looked excellent seems like he's got a very good chance to get back into this rotation and break camp as one of the members of the starting five so if he is in the rotation, who falls out? Yeah, as of now, Eric Lauer and Freddie Peralta are still ahead of him as far as that battle goes for the fifth star, fifth starter job. I asked Craig Council point blank really today on on March 9th, actually. Hey, you know, Kurt Corbin Burns has been pitching re- really well. The beginning of spring training, you said Freddie Peralta and Eric Lauer were probably ahead of him. Is that still the same case? And and he said, yeah, it's probably the same ca- same situation for Corbin Burns, actually, despite him pitching well. And there's a lot that goes into that. Burns did not have a good season by any stretch. It was a nightmare for him last year. It was something that people needed to figure needed to figure out because it, it just boggled the mind. Looked like he was not placing his fastball placement needed some work. He's done a lot of work as far as pitching pitching and, and knowing what his slider is and how good that pitch is and also the mental mental work away from baseball to kind of get him his his uh pitching and his mind right to be in a position where he is playing well pitching well this spring but right now I would probably have Eric Lauer as that fifth guy if I were to make a guess which would move Freddie Peralta a very versatile piece for the Brewers in the bullpen to start things off start, start things off and would actually put Burns in triple a um just because i they they would still need him as a starter and that would probably be the best course of action in that scenario a lot of moving pieces both in the uh field for this team and in the rotation that's will salmon you can check him out of course all over the athletic and on twitter at will salmon not like the fish not like tim salmon s-a-m-m-o-n will thanks for taking the time with us today oh anytime michael thanks for having me on All right, we move on to put a bow on the National League Central, and to do that, we bring in Rob Beertemple, our Pirates beat writer, to talk a little Pirates, the fifth team here in the NL Central. Rob, how are you doing today? Doing well. How are you doing today, man? I am good, too. I'm good. Uh, NL Central's been been a fun division to talk about, wrapping it up here with Mm -hmm. the Pirates, and I want to start in the the closers (laughs) role. Uh, Obviously, a huge position in the fantasy world. Keone Kella, uh, a guy who a lot of people are excited about this season, but maybe he's getting pushed at some point this year. How firm is his grip on this closers role going into the season, and if he does get pushed, who's going to do the pushing? Well, I'm not sure that Pushing is exactly the right term. It's more like who's going to fill the void when he leaves. Uh, Keone is a, is a free agent at the end of the year. Uh, the Pirates really haven't indicated that they're that they're willing to to you know look at to bring him back after this season. So pretty much everybody is going into the season assuming that Kella will either be traded you know toward that July thirty first deadline or simply depart as a free agent after this year. They have some possibilities, some some arms behind him who could get a shot at some closing situations. When we were at Pirates Fest back in mid-January, uh, we asked Derek Shelton, you know, who's your closer? How are you going to handle that role? And he 
didn't name a closer at that point. I mean, he was even asked specifically about Kella. He just said, well, no, we're still looking at all the different options. Everybody will get, you know, there's a number of guys that will get some saving opportunities, which was not what we expected to hear. And then we get to camp and Shelton says, well, I've talked to Kella and he's going into the season as our closer, which makes sense. I mean, he's, he's ideally suited for the job. He's got the stuff for the job. He's got that bulldog mentality you like for the job. But again, there's always that looming question of who's next, because when you're a fifth place team in the central and you're probably going to be fifth place for another year or two or whatever, you know, the, you really don't need an elite closer. That's more of a luxury, sort of that last piece of a puzzle. So when you look beyond Kella as to who might get some opportunities before a trade or at various points of the season, I think that the name at the top of the list would be Kyle Crick, a right-hander, a fantastic slider. And again, another guy who he had some problems last year, and especially with the long ball. And I think this year he missed the last, I guess, three or so weeks of the season. Uh, he, I think he needed surgery to repair a tendon in his hand after he punched former closer Felipe Vasquez in the face. <laughs> in the clubhouse, uh, which is a whole other story. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I, I think Crick, you know, he's shown so far in spring that he's healthy, but the stuff is still there. I think he would be first in line to get some saving opportunities. They've also got uh, Michael Felice, who they acquired as part of the, the, uh, the Garrett Cole trade, a guy with a big arm, a big fastball. He's always been touted as a potential back-end bullpen guy but just hasn't really put everything together, especially with his pitch sequencing. I mean, he's a guy that he'll, you'll see him throw 10, 11, 12, 15 fastballs, four-seamers in a row. And uh, you know, sometimes he can get guys to swing and miss at 97, 98, but there are also times guys knows, know that it's coming, and he needs to locate that stuff better and, and do a little bit better job with some of the secondary stuff. Uh, beyond Feliz and, and Crick, I think Richard Rodriguez is a guy who might get a chance here or there. Uh, Rodriguez, a guy they picked up a couple of years ago, I believe off waivers from Baltimore, never really clicked there. Uh, but with the Pirates, has had some some good runs of success. Last year, he was used in a number of different roles, uh, mid you know, mid bullpen, back into the bullpen. I think he led the team in appearances of fewer than three batters, which you know is now a thing this year with that mm -hmm. new rule. But he's a guy too that I think would get some occasional looks. Um, and then beyond that, if you want to look really long-term, there's a kid at Triple A this year who was uh, optioned to Indy um, just Monday morning, Blake Cedarland, kid with another kid with a big arm, touches 100 miles an hour, uh, big California kid, laid back, has got the long blonde flowing hair. But I talked to Joel Hanrahan, who was an all-star closer with the Pirates and is going to be the Triple A pitching coach this year. He had Blake last year at Double A Altoona. And told me already last summer, keep an eye on this kid because he's got stuff that could make him a closer down the line. So there's four names I think people need to look look for, both short, medium, and long-term in terms of the Pirates' bullpen back end. The position players are seem to be pretty set coming into the year. The one name that mm -hmm. jumps out as someone who could uh, mix things up eventually, and you got to imagine it's going to happen at some point this year, is Cabrian Hayes, uh, yeah. the number 46 prospect in Keith Law's top 100 rankings here at The Athletic. Seems like a, not a question of if, but when he is up for good with this team this season. When do you think that mm -hmm. happens? And when it does happen, how do the uh, dominoes fall in the lineup? What's well, interesting, when we talked to – Former general manager Neil Huntington last September, he told me that uh, basically th at that point they already had planned on not bringing Hayes up to the major leagues 
until maybe at some point midpoint of 2020. And now, obviously, with Ben Sherrington running the uh, the front office now, maybe some of those plans have changed. Uh, Cabrian, he's gotten a long look here in spring training. He's got a lot of at bats. He's got a lot of time at third base. And defensively, he's exactly as advertised. The, the kid is just flat out good with the glove. Um, maybe some of, the, you know, some of that may be genetic from Charlie, you know. Um, but the kid really can play third base, and, and that's been an area where they have sorely lacked. Well, he does have some ability in the bat, just has really no range. Fantastic throwing arm. He makes up for a lot of his deficiencies with the glove by with a pretty accurate throwing arm. But he just doesn't get to the balls that he should. And that's been a problem, uh, you know, for, for this team last season. And, and you know, it, it just reverberates out to the pitching staff and, and everywhere from, from from there on out. So they really need a better defensive answer and soon at third base. I think the question is just how quickly Cabrian Hayes' back can come around. Um, if he can show to them, and I think he's done a, a, a pretty good job so far this spring, that he can handle big league pitching. Um, I think that's really the last hurdle he needs to claim, you know, to, to, to clear this. You know, he's he's a decent base runner. He's a guy who, as I mentioned, will, will play some fantastic defense. He's a smart guy in the field and on the bases. And I think, you know, his approach, he, he's talked about maybe getting the ball in the air a little bit more. But again, you know, who hasn't <laughs> for the past couple of years? But um, he wants to show a little bit more power that he really hasn't shown that in the minor leagues. But the Pirates have always thought that there is a little bit more pop in that bat that it would come as he got a little bit older. So, you know, he's an intriguing guy as to what point this season. It's not like you mentioned, it's not really if he'll reach the big leagues. It's when uh, and will it be after that, you know. Super two cutoff <laughs> date, probably. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then once he does arrive, that shakes up a, a number of different things because Colin Moran, who you know probably goes in, into the season as your incumbent at third base, uh, what do you do with him? They've played him a little bit at first base. Uh, last year under Clint Hurdle, they used him in the outfield and even at second base. I don't know if he'll become quite a, a you know a super U guy, but I think there's definitely potential for him as a as a as a backup first baseman uh, that also creates situation, you know, if they take Jose Osuna on the roster out of spring camp, he's a guy, third baseman, first baseman can play a little outfield in a pinch, but if, you know, Brian comes up, you know, somebody's expendable then is, is it Osuna? Is it, uh, is it Colin Moran? What, what, what about Eric Gonzalez? He's a guy out of options. You would think the pirates are going to keep him coming out of spring training uh, he's being used a little bit more often to third base. I think they realize that there's really no opportunity for him at either short or second base. So he's getting a lot of reps at third base. He's part of that mix as well. So there's three guys who all have various deficiencies. Moran, defensive liability. Gonzalez, pretty much no bat. Just has never gotten traction in the big leagues over over a lot of opportunities over the past couple of three years one of those, or maybe more of those guys, gets out when Cabrian arrives. All right, that's Rob Beer Temple on the Pirates. You can follow him at Athletic MLB, Athletic Pittsburgh, of course, and check him out on Twitter at Rob Beer Temple. B I E R T E M P F E L. Rob, thanks again. Thank you for the time. Appreciate it.
All right, that'll do it for the NL Central edition of our Position Battle Series. Thanks so much for joining us here today. Please do be sure to check out all our great NL Central writers on Twitter. And also, if you are not yet a subscriber to The Athletic, go to theathletic.com slash podcast for 40% off an annual subscription. Next up in this series, the National League West. Until then, I am Michael Beller. Thanks again for listening. Thank you.